Okay, good morning everybody. Um, yes, I am speaking this morning. David asked me last week, but um, thankfully God told me before that. Um, so <laughs> this is something that's kind of been in my heart for a while. So, and I just thank God there's been quite a few um, different people have just said, Little things, even David speaking over the past few weeks, just wee things that have stood out to me and a couple of people sent me messages this morning and even a few things that have come up in the worship um, have just confirmed this word to me. So I just, yes, Lord, I just pray that I would do this word justice that I feel you've given me, Lord, just take away anything that's not of you, that's of me, Lord. I just pray that I'd be able to to get this word across just in the way that that you would want and it that it would be a word that would build up and encourage your body lord um so i don't really have a, a catchy title for my message i did try to think of one but I, I couldn't come up with it but um really i suppose the crux of it is that i believe god is building something here in table in tandragee um, he started something here and he's going to build it. So the first passage I want to look at or the first verse I want to look at is in 1 Peter um, chapter 2, verses 4 to 6. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So I suppose that's really the verse um, that we're taking this morning. Um, and if we look, so I believe God is building, he's building a house here. Um, and if we look at that word house, it actually in the Greek is oikos. You'll probably remember that because of the, the Greek yogurt. Um, but is a little bit um, deeper than just house. It's not just a physical building if we look at what that word means in the original Greek it actually means the house and the family that dwell in the house and it's a bit broader than just the nuclear family it's the wider family we can look at it in the the context of everyone living in a given house and back in those days that would have maybe included the servants and sort of anybody who had reason to be in that household those people that we were coming in contact with um, on a regular basis. So God is building an oikos here. And just that, that phrase cornerstone, you know, that's been confirmed to me a few times this morning. And you know, that's ultimately it. We are building on Jesus, the cornerstone. And if we look at how, how is God building this house, we go back to um, 1 Kings chapter 5. Um, 1 Kings chapter 5 and starting at verse, verse 1. So we're looking at Solomon's temple. 
And I know there's been many people who have done great in-depth studies of Solomon's Temple, and I don't pretend to have done a really big in-depth study of it. I was nearly tempted to go away and look at a load of commentaries on Solomon's Temple, but I just thought, no, I'll keep it simple, and I'll just stick to exactly what I felt God was revealing to me whenever I was reading through these verses. So starting um, at verse 1. Now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent his servants to Solomon. When he heard that they had anointed him king in place of his father, for Hiram had always loved David. And Solomon sent word to Hiram, You know that David, my father, could not build a house for the name of the Lord his God because of the warfare with which his enemies surrounded him until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor misfortune. And so I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. As the Lord said to David, my father, your son, whom I will set on your throne in your place, shall build a house for my name. Now therefore command that cedars of Lebanon be cut for me, and my servants will join your servants, and I will pay for you what your Pay for your servants such wages as you set, for you know that there is no one among us who knows how to cut timber like the Sidonians. As soon as Hiram heard the words of Solomon, he rejoiced greatly and said, Blessed be the Lord this day, who has given David a wise son to be over this great people. And Hiram sent to Solomon, saying, I have heard the message that you have sent to me, and I am ready to do all you desire in the matter of cedar and cypress timber. My servants shall bring it down to the sea from Lebanon, and I will make it into rafts to go by sea to the place you direct. And I will have them broken up there, and you shall receive it. And you shall meet my wishes by providing food for my household." So Hiram supplied Solomon with all the timber of cedar and cypress that he desired. Hiram supplied Solomon with all the timber, oh, while Solomon gave Hiram 20,000 cores of wheat as food for his household and 20,000 cores of beaten oil. Solomon gave this to Hiram year by year, and the Lord gave Solomon wisdom as he promised him. And there was peace between Hiram and Solomon, and the two of them made a treaty. King Solomon drafted forced labour out of all Israel, and the draft numbered 30,000 men, and he sent them to Lebanon, 10,000 a month in shifts. They would be a month in Lebanon and two months at home. Adoniram was in charge of the draft. Solomon had 70,000 burden bearers and 80,000 stone cutters in the hill country. Besides Solomon's 3,300 chief officers who were over the work, who had charge of the people who carried out the work. And the king's command, at the king's command, they quarried out great costly stones in order to lay the foundation of the house with dressed stones. So Solomon's builders and Hiram's builders and the men of Gabal did the cutting and prepared the timber and the stone to build the house. So if we're looking at Solomon's temple as our example, the first thing that stood out to me was really, you know, when was this building happening? And it says it happened when the Lord had given us, has given us rest on every side. So to the, get to this point of building, there has been battles. There's been battles before this point. And those battles are worth fighting for to get to that place 
where we can build the house of God. And I know in this church, there's been battles. There's been battles to get to this point, to get to the place where we can build that oikos, to really build that family of God. And it's important to know what season we're in. You know, it's always important to ask God what season we're in. You know, what, what page is God on so we can get on God's page? You know, are we in a season of battles or are we in a season of building? You know, there are battles, there's always battles, and maybe to some extent there are always battles going on in the background, but we can't neglect the season of building as well. You know, David wanted to build the temple, but God said no. He said he was a man of war, and it was Solomon who was going to build the temple. You know, the season of building was going to come in Solomon's reign. Um, so yeah, so really, I suppose it's just about listening Listening to God, keeping close to him, you know, being aware of those battles coming, but also not being so hypervigilant for battles all the time that we don't actually have that peace. We don't take that time of peace to build the temple. And then if we look at who, who is building this temple, who has, um, you know, God put in place to build the temple. At the start of that passage, it says that Hiram always loved David. You know, there was a loyalty there to the house of David. And it says Hiram rejoiced greatly when he heard that, you know, Solomon had become king in David's place. He recognized God's anointing on Solomon and his spiritual mandate to build the house. You know, and I believe God appoints people to lead. Um, and that's not to be taken lightly. You know, if we look at the, um, the example of that in the Old Testament, especially if we think of um, David and Saul, you know, um, Saul had turned against David and David had a couple of opportunities to lift his hand against God's anointed, but he didn't. You know, and if we actually remember, David had already himself been anointed king at this point, so probably nobody would have blamed him and he, he quite easily could have thought, well, this is it, this is how I'm going to become king, this, this is my chance, I'm going to take it, but no. He was wary about lifting his hand against the Lord's anointed. You know, so I believe that's how God builds today. He appoints leaders and we come under the authority of those leaders and that's maybe not a popular um, thing in today's culture you know there maybe is more of this sense of um, you know everyone in the team is just as important and no one takes that that lead role but that's not how God works and we see that in the Bible God does appoint leaders for a certain season you know godly leaders do we believe that david and linda have been appointed here in table as those godly leaders and if we do we need to be willing to come under their authority and that's not to say you know that church leaders should be dictators and um they never get it wrong um but certainly i believe god appoints and perhaps it's only him who has the right to take down those leaders um, you know, do we believe here in table that we are in an army 
or a team or a church being led by people anointed by God. And not only you know, do we have leaders anointed by God, God then draws together the people with the right skills. You know, if we look in the passage, it says no one can cut timber like the Sidonians. They were the experts. God brought the people with the right skills under Solomon, his appointed leader to build the house, to build the temple. And we see that also um, in David's reign with David's mighty men, you know, the men who helped him in war and they were so skilled. God drew this band of super skilled men together um, under David. Um, and we see it as well, you know, when David was anointed king, um, it says the tribes of Israel said, behold, we are your bone and flesh. You know, it's that, it's that kind of loyalty. Um, it's that kind of, of loyalty to those godly leaders that we need to have um, to build the house. <coughs> And then I suppose this was really one of the big themes that stood out to me whenever I was looking at this, um, the temple and how was it being built. And it says in 1 Kings 5, 17, it was built with great costly dressed stones. And then if we look on down into um, chapter 6, verse 7, it says, when the house was built, it was with stone prepared at the quarry, so that neither hammer nor axe nor any tool of iron was heard in the house while it was being built. You know, and I just, that just really stood out. You know, I sort of, I was imagining those stones, you know, maybe part of a big rock face. They're chosen to be part of the temple. You know, the builder comes along and says, yes, I am going to use this stone, um, you're going to be part of the temple and the stone thinks, great, you know, I'm ready to go. It gets chipped out of that rock um, and they think they're going to the temple, but they don't go there straight away. No, they stay at the quarry and they're chipped away at. Um, in chapter seven, it talks about them being cut according to measure. And um, also in chapter Seven, it's talking about, in this case, it's actually talking about the, um, the stones that are going to be part of Solomon's um, house. It's uh, chapter 7, verse 9. All of these were made of costly stones, cut according to measure, sawed with saws back and front, even from the foundation to the coping and from the outside to the great court. Um, so I imagine a similar process must have been used to build the temple. And if we remember back to Peter, you know, we are those stones. We are the living stones that God chooses to live. You know, have you spent time at the quarry? You know, maybe you feel that God called you out of where you were into ministry to do something for him, to step out, to take a step of faith, to achieve something for God, you take that step of faith out of your comfort zone. You're separated from that rock face that you've been familiar with for so long and you're ready to be part of what God's building. But instead, you stay at the quarry and it's hard. That's not what you imagined was going to happen. You thought you were ready, but instead you're being chipped away at. And maybe you're going through or went through or 
what you're going through or what you've went through is so painful that it feels like you're being sawn, not only in the front, but in the back. Um, and you're just like, God, what is going on? Everything you thought you knew about God and what it was like to follow him has just been completely turned on its head. You're totally confused. You're totally discouraged. But you are being cut according to measure. You know, Stefan and I have spent some time at the quarry as well. I suppose, you know, a major time we spent at the quarry would have been about um, four years ago, kind of in around the time that um, Daniel was born. You know, Stefan and I used to go to the same church. It was my family church. I had been there for years and years. Um, and it was a great church. And it was a church that really encouraged you to find out you know, like what is your purpose in God and to really fulfill it. You know, God has a plan and a purpose for your life and you're always almost looking forward to that point at which you discover this purpose. Um, and we felt really called actually to step out, to leave that church that we had been comfortable and established in, um, to step out because we were convinced God had called us to do something. Um, and we did but it did not turn out anything the way we imagined. It was hard and it was confusing. And we actually, the thing we felt we were called into, we ended up leaving that too. Um, and we were left in this place where we actually had no church for a while, um, kind of in a, a vacuum. Um, yeah, it was, it was a confusing, painful time and there was just so many aspects to it. You know, it was around the time that Daniel was born and I had quite a traumatic birth with Daniel. He was quite an unsettled baby who cried all the time and didn't mm -hmm. sleep. Um, you know, it was at a time where we were selling our house. We had planned to build a house and we had a house set up in the interim. And then not only did the house we were planning to build, you know, we had the plans and everything passed, we were ready to go. Um, but then that fell through. The house that we were going to stay in temporarily, that fell through. And we were in a point at one um, time where we had booked the moving van. Um, it was two weeks, we were to be out in our house, out of our house in two weeks. And we had the moving van booked to collect our stuff but we couldn't tell them where they were going to be taking it to because we didn't have anywhere to go. Um, and there was just, there was other things, you know, it was tied up with family things as well. You know, we had left a family church um, to, to do this and it had fallen through. We'd kind of, we went up against my family and my dad to set out and <coughs> do this thing and it didn't work out. Um, there was just so many aspects to it, you know, Thankfully, you know, God did keep us through it and we did get a house sorted within those two weeks, but it really wasn't a nice house. It was a horrible house. It was a cold house and it was terrible. And the wind would literally blow through it and we couldn't keep it warm. Um, and we were in this house. It was an awful house. We had no church. I felt so guilty because we had Daniel and I wasn't even bringing him to church. I was like, what is going on? What kind of a Christian parent am I that we are in this place and I, can't, I don't even have a church to bring my son to? Um, I felt so guilty. 
And I felt, I got really angry with God as well. I was like, like God, we were trying to do something good. We were trying to step out for you. We didn't feel we had necessarily gone the wrong way. We'd been convinced that God had really called us out to this thing. We were, our heads were wrecked. Like, I mean, completely wrecked. And it was a really low point for me. I was so angry with God. And there was at times where, you know, if I think back to maybe when Daniel was around, um, Jonathan's age now, around that seven months time, there was times where Stefan would leave me crying on the sofa in my dressing gown. He made me point out that he left me to go to work. He wasn't just like leaving me. <laughs> he left me to go to work. And then when he would come home, I would still be on the sofa in my dressing gown crying. It was really, it was really a tough time. But I thank God that he he brings us through it. Even though I was angry at him and I was not spending time with him, I was actually, do you know, nearly if anybody would have tried to encourage me or sometimes I would have put on the God channel to or like TBN to try and be like, okay, you know, I want to hear. I would nearly have scoffed at it. I was like, no, that doesn't, you know, God doesn't, you know, he has put us to shame. You know, I was so angry. Um, but thank God he brought us through it and he brought us to table. And really, I suppose the thing that drew us to table was we had known David and Linda from the, our original church and we knew their hearts. We didn't really know why we were coming, but we just came because we were drawn to that. And we knew that David and Linda were, um, you know, full of integrity and had hearts after God. So we just thought, OK. We need to go somewhere, we'll, we'll start going to table. And now, you know, kind of the rest is history. But, um, <laughs> you know, that was time in the quarry. And I think anybody who has walked any length of time with God spends time at the quarry. Um, and maybe it never really ends, but why is it so important that the stones have spent time there? They need to be the right shape and the right size. They need to fit closely to the stones on either side. They need to be united together and strong. They need to be able to support the stones that are going to be built on top of them. You know, imagine a regular shaped stones. They're not going to build a very strong or an impressive building. You know, and we've got to remember that's the picture of the oikos, of the house of God, the family of God. We need to be that family that when we come together, there is peace, you know, remember it says no sound of, of tools were heard, you know, we've spent that time at the quarry, that hard time, and so when we come together, God builds something beautiful, we slot together easily, we're united, you know, and God's building, so we have that first layer of stones, but God's going to bring other stones, and we need to be ready to support those stones that are going to be built on top of us. Um, and I'm sure there are many people here that can testify of times that they have been through the quarry, but in it all, God has been preparing you. I believe God has been and is preparing the people here in table to build something for him. In real life, I don't believe the chipping and the chiseling away ever really comes to an end, and maybe you still feel like you're in the quarry. But before we can be used by God to really be part of what he is building, we need to have spent that time to have surrendered to the axe and to the saw of God. He needs us to be cut according to measure and fit for purpose. 
The other thing that they built with was cedar and cypress. So not only are there stones, but then the stones are overlaid with cedar and cypress. So it says in 1 Kings chapter 6, um, verses 14 to 18. So Solomon built the house and finished it. He lined the walls of the house on the inside with boards of cedar. From the floor of the house to the walls of the ceiling, he covered them on the inside with wood, and he covered the floor of the house with boards of cypress. He built 20 cubits of the rear of the house with boards of cedar from the floor to the walls, and he built this within as an inner sanctuary, as the most holy place. The house that is the nave in front of the inner sanctuary was 40 cubits long. The cedar within the house was carved in the form of gourds and open flowers. All was cedar, no stone was seen. And if we look back into chapter 5, how did that cedar get there? 1 Kings 5 verse 9, it says, My servant shall bring it down to the sea from Lebanon, and I will make it into rafts to go by sea to the place you direct. And any time I read of the sea or of water, that always speaks to me of the Spirit. You know, they could have got a big army of people to carry the wood or to drag it or to put it on carts, but you can imagine how much more effort that would have been. And instead, they just tied it together and they floated it on the sea. They moved mountains of cedar so easily on the water. You know how much easier things are when it's the Spirit doing the work. Mm -hmm. And it's so easy. It's so easy to slip into human effort. And it doesn't mean we're completely lazy and do nothing and we just sit back and expect everything to, to happen on its own. You know, they still had to cut the timber. They still had to tie it together. They still had to pull it out at the other end. But, you know, the bulk of the work, that really hard work was done by the Spirit and it's work that they could never have done themselves. So it's so important that we have the Spirit that we are open to the Spirit and that we are guided by Him at all times. The other thing it says is that the stone was overlaid with cedar so that no stone could be seen. You know, and I was just thinking about this and I was thinking, you know, do you ever look at some Christians and think, you know, they look great. They have it all sorted. I could never be like that. They have it all together. You know, if only they knew what it was like for me. You know, my life doesn't look like that. My life is a big, rough, old stone. You know, but you better believe that that Christian you're looking at, that there is stone under that cedar. You just can't see it. You know, that cedar couldn't have been laid on top unless the stone underneath had been cut to shape, unless they had spent time at the quarry. You know, and I'm talking about those Christians who, who are really solid Christians. You know, there's maybe Christians out there that look good. You know, they maybe have the wood, but it's just veneer. And when you dig deeper, there isn't anything underneath. But I'm talking about those, those Christians, you know, that really are those examples to us. You know, it looks like maybe they've got it easy now. They've got it sussed now, but to get to that place they have spent that time in the quarry 
they're cut to shape and that's the only reason that God can then lay that beautiful layer of carved cedar on top. You know, and that time at the quarry, you know, it looks it looks different for everyone. You know, what's really gonna to chip off and saw off those rough edges for one person is gonna look different um to what it looks um to another person, you know, and there was another thing that kind of just confirmed this theme to me. I think Stefan had read it. It was in Jeremiah. I can't remember the exact reference, but it was about the hammer of your word. Um, yeah, you can find it for me. Um, there's just there's been so many wee things that, um, and even we sang that song um, this morning. You know, let your praise fill the temple. I was just like, oh, it's all it's all working out. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> you know, and Jackie had also said another um, thing which she'll probably come on to as well about the menorah. You know, it was just all of the temple and imagery as well. <laughs> it's uh, it's well, about yeah, the I word. There, yeah. Okay. <laughs> is, not, is not my word like fire declares the Lord like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Yeah, and I was just like, oh, there's another another thing, <laughs> you know. So you know, through it all, and when you're in the quarry, it's hard, and you can't maybe spend the time in the word. You know, maybe the word feels dry, um, and you're not reading these great passages that are really coming alive, you're literally maybe clinging to single verses or single words, but you know, that can be enough, you know, in those times, just cling, cling to the word, even if it is just the tiniest, the tiniest phrase, you know, we do, we go through those seasons um, where it seems like it's desert or like God's being quiet, but cling, cling to the word. Um, and then not only was there cedar and cypress, if we look at 1 Kings 6, uh, 21 to 22. Um, and Solomon overlaid the inside of the house with pure gold. And he drew chains of pure gold across in front of the inner sanctuary and overlaid it with gold. And he overlaid the whole house with gold until all the house was finished. And also the whole altar that belonged to the inner sanctuary was overlaid with gold. And I just thought, wow, to get to that point where we are so like Jesus, that when people look at us, they see pure gold. You know, there's always more with God. There's always another layer and another level. And maybe, I don't know, maybe, well, we don't. We don't get to that point of perfection until we get to eternity. But we are always, you know, God's always bringing us along that journey. So then, you know, what is the point? What is the point of building this beautiful temple? What is the point of going through this process? Um, what's it for? What does it achieve? Um, 1 Kings 5, 5, if we look at the reason that Solomon declared he was um, building it, and so I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. So ultimately, we are building it for his glory and his fame. 
Um, and this was a place of extravagant sacrifice and worship. First Kings 8, 5 um, says, And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who had assembled before him were with him before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and oxen that they could not be counted or numbered. You know, nothing was too um, great a price to to sacrifice, to sacrifice to God. They sacrificed so many sheep and oxen that they could not be counted or numbered. You know, he was worth it all. He is worth it all. He's worth all our sacrifices and deserving of our worship. And 1 Kings 8, um, 11. No, sorry, 1 Kings 8, <coughs> 1 to 11. So whenever the house was built, then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the leaders of the fathers' houses of the people of Israel before King Solomon in Jerusalem to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of God out of the city of David, which is Zion. And all the men of Israel assembled to King Solomon at the feast in the month of Ethanim, which is the seventh month. And all the elders of Israel came and the priests took up the Ark. And they brought up the ark of the Lord, the tent of meeting, and all the holy vessels that were in the tent. The priests and the Levites brought them up. And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who had assembled before him were with him before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and oxen they could not be counted or numbered. Then the priests brought the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place in the inner sanctuary of the house, in the most holy place, underneath the wings of the cherubim for the cherubim spread out their wings over the place of the ark so that the cherubim overshadowed the ark and its poles and the poles were so long that the ends of the poles were seen from the holy place before the inner sanctuary but they could not be seen from the outside and there they are to this day there was nothing in the ark except the two tablets of stone that moses put there at horeb where the lord made a covenant with the people of israel when they came out of the land of egypt and when the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. And that's what I, that's what I pray for. You know, I'm sure that's what many people here long for, that glory to just come and to fill, to fill the house for God's glory to fill his house here, for God's glory to fill this place here in Tandragee. Um, and in 2 Chronicles 7, 1 to 3, it also says sort of similarly, as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple and the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. And when the people of Israel saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. You know, that's so true. God is good. You know, I know in the hard times it doesn't maybe seem like that, but he is a good God and he proves himself over and over again. His steadfast love endures forever. 
So not only is it a place that is filled with God's glory, back to Kings 8, um, 27 to 30. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea. O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you to this day, that your eyes may be open night and day towards this house, the place which you have said my name shall be there and that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers towards this place, and listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place, and listen in heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. You know, it's a place of forgiveness too. Um, And the rest of that chapter, or a good part of that chapter, eight, you know, just goes on to really talk about God's forgiveness um, whenever his people turn to him. Um, and Second Chronicles 7, verses 11 to 16. No, am I right? Yep. Yeah. 2 Chronicles 7, verses 11 to 16. Um, Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house, he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locust to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. You know, that's just, that's amazing. You know, that, that is God's promise to dwell with his people. You know, that's how God chooses to work. He chooses to build us together, starting off as rough, stones but he chooses to build us together to accomplish his plans so that we can show his glory so that there is a place where people can come and have his forgiveness you know a house and a family where God is pleased to dwell but even then we still have to remember that doesn't limit God he's still even bigger than that he's bigger than the plans he's given us he's bigger than Tandragi you know it says um, heaven and highest heaven cannot continue how much less this house that I have built and if we think of the amount of glory that came and filled the house you know that wasn't even you know that wasn't at all there was still more you know God is is limitless and we we can't even limit him you know, we believe he's going to do something here in Tandragi and in this place, but we don't limit him to that as well. 
So I suppose just to, to summarise, um, it's the importance of oikos, the importance of the family, the house, the household, that encompasses the property and sort of from generation to generation as well. It's that, that broad sense, that inheritance as well, when we look back at Peter. You know, there will be battles, there will be seasons for battles, but there will be seasons for building as well. So we can't neglect the building. You know, God will give us rest, rest enough so that we can build, we can build the, the house for his name. You know, God has drawn together the people who are skilled, the right people, um, and the people who are loyal under leaders appointed by God. We are the living stones with which God builds, quarried out, cut to measure, overlaid with cedar by his spirit and pure gold, so that his glory can dwell here, so thick that we cannot stand, that we can have a place of extravagant worship, a place of forgiveness, and hope for everyone who comes through our doors or who comes in contact with this family that we're building here. Mm -hmm. And if we want that glory and that living house that offers hope and forgiveness, we can't skip out the process. So we can't skip out the quarrying and the being built together in love and peace and the unity of the body. Um, and the unity of the body and the house and the family is so important so that we can glorify God and proclaim the name of the Lord. So don't be discouraged. God has started something here and everyone is here for a purpose, not by mistake. You are an important part of what God is building here. He can't build without you. And he chooses to use us, to use you as living stones. And we start off rough as anything. God knows that. Um, you know, that verse in First um, Philippians 1, 6, and I am sure of this, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. You know, God has started something here in table. You know, obviously God is doing things on a national and a worldwide scale, but I just feel particularly for this group of people, God has started something here. Don't be discouraged. You know, the enemy wants to get us distracted and take our eyes off but let's refocus you know god is building something here and it's something that's going to share his glory and you know where people can come and have <coughs> hope and forgiveness and he's going to bring it to completion um in the day of christ jesus